Throughout this Advent season, we have been talking about unexpected gifts, and we've had some folks in our church, storytellers and teachers, share a little bit about an unexpected, maybe even unwanted experience or gift in their life that God brought about some good things as a result, and, and we've dug into the nativity story to pull out some of those very things as well. Tonight's no different, and we're glad to have one of our own to share just a little bit about a story in their life. Uh, please welcome, if you would, uh, Veronica. So my story that I'm going to tell you is not at all Christmassy. I mean, I could have said like, well, it was this Yankee candle that I really just hated the smell of and then walked off, but um, I thought something a little bit more meaningful would be better. Um, So I am going to tell you a story about my life. It uh, was around when I was in my late teens, early 20s, entering into adulthood, and I was pretty angry. I was angry a lot. Um, I was certain that God had made a mistake. I was not meant to be a woman, and this was my gift. I, uh, from what I saw, being a woman meant, uh, well, at least inside the church, it meant having babies and staying at home, and that was not appealing to me at the time. Uh, outside of the church, what I saw is women, you know, especially in the media, are were very external and beautiful and alluring, and I definitely didn't have that. I mean, at the time. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I, I wasn't supposed to make that funny, and, it, and I did. Um, you know, I heard things about feminism, and that sounded interesting because, oh, equality with men, well, that's interesting to me. But it was also pretty exhausting because implicit in that was I had to be like a man. I had to do what men could do. And you guys can do some pretty cool things that I cannot do. So it didn't seem possible to me. It seemed like whenever womanhood was discussed in my worlds, it was negative, restrictive, silencing, And always, always the word submission was used. (sighs) So based on what I knew, I did not want to be a woman. I also felt like I couldn't be a woman. Or I felt ridiculous trying to be a woman. The problem was I was a woman. And as you grow into adulthood, it becomes more and more clear. I just, I couldn't resolve it. And for a long time, I didn't even have words for it. It was just this pain inside of me. If someone would talk about gender, I'd get all shaky on the inside, like like I was shivering in the cold. And man, if they brought up gender differences, oh, Miss Miss Mean would come out. Uh, I would just get so defensive and angry. Uh, And I think looking back, it's because I believed that difference implied inferiority. If there really was a difference between men and women, then I wasn't as good as, I wasn't as important as, I wasn't as valuable as a man. And I didn't want to be a man. I just didn't want to be a woman. I didn't want to have anything to do with gender. I was was afraid that God really didn't like women. Uh, Almost, you know, like the spirit of those passages in the Bible where um, it talks about women. Almost like he's like, just just be quiet, (laughs) you know? And I would get so mad. I would rail at him and say, you made me like this. I don't want kids. 
I don't have the perfect body. I, I, I can't do it, and yet I am. You made me like this. I have all these opinions, but that seems to be a bad thing. So I'd say, why did you make me a woman? And I would fight against him for, for quite a few years. And this was my gift. <laughs> quite unwanted, unchosen, this fight against gender. I didn't want it. I didn't understand it. And it hurt. I used to say like, oh, I wish I could just get like a lobotomy where they could just take out these thoughts and this pain. And my life was fine otherwise. But this caused so much pain in me. But because God is gracious in how he gives gifts, he wouldn't let me escape it. It's like he had his thumb on this issue in my life. It seemed like the places I was at that time in my life, they, had, they focused on gender. I should also say that I was newly married at this time. And when you're married and you don't want to be a woman, it's a little tense. It's a little tense. There's some, some hard conversations. And in this place of confusion and anger and shame and fear, I was studying to be a mental health counselor. <laughs> Welcome to the field of mental health. <laughs> Buyer beware. <laughs> so you have to get supervision in order to become a counselor. Uh, and I was in a group supervision, a supervision group, with a few of my classmates and a supervisor of mine named Janelle Hallman. And uh, in one of our supervision groups, Janelle opened it up to us and just said, what questions do you guys have? Uh, and one of my classmates asked, uh, why did God put enmity between the serpent and the woman? Uh, I was in a Christian counseling <laughs> program, just in case. Oop, oop. Oh, sorry. So he's referring, or she was referring to Genesis uh, 3, where um, it was right after the woman ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he was doling out curses and consequences. And he says to the serpent... And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity, meaning hate or hostility. Why would God put extra hate between the serpent and the woman specifically? Well, in a flash, I thought, well, that's a stupid question. Uh, you know, the, the woman ate the fruit. She deserves to be punished. And then, you know, the rest of us along with, it, with her... But instead of answering uh, the question, Janelle started asking questions. She said, well, who is God's enmity? Uh, enemy? And uh, we all answered, well, the serpent. And then she asked, and who is God going to defeat in the end? And we said, well, the serpent. And then she said, and who does God trust enough to put into battle with his enemy to fight for the sake of life until the end. <gasps> I was shocked. I had never heard anything like this before. God trusted women. God created women with purpose and strength for good. I, women had been, in my mind, relegated to laundry or porn or crawling their way to value by being like a man. But in that moment, that one instant, 
God showed me that a woman's life is filled with epic meaning and worth. You see, God didn't say, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, when he was talking to the woman. (laughs) Mm -mm. God's not putting an adversary in the woman's life to take her down. No. (laughs) He says it to the serpent as part of the serpent's curse. There is a great adversary coming against Satan to take Satan down. You think men battle fiercely? Mm -mm. You've never watched women's sports. (laughs) We take it personal and we make it personal. (laughs) Mm -mm. The woman isn't being punished. Satan is. And this was shockingly different than what I thought, what I believed. And I think it's partly because there was such a contrast between what I believed about women and the truth that I could not have missed God's love for me in that moment. Kind of like if you were coming home on your birthday and no one wished you a birthday and you're coming into a dark house all alone, feeling bad for yourself. And as soon as you enter, someone flips on the light and there's all the people you love in your life wishing you happy birthday and, you know, surprising you. It was like that kind of a contrast. Because I had this deep pain of self-hatred in me, I think God could reveal his approval of me so much stronger in a way that no teaching ever could. I mean, I had known God before this. I believed in Jesus, but in that moment, I encountered God. I knew him. And it wasn't some feeling. It wasn't some like made up thought. I knew him and I knew his love So I'm going to talk just a few moments about what good has come from this gift. Um, But I do want to be clear, uh, I've got a long way to go, so I don't want to set up some expectations that you think that I uh, might be better than I am, uh, especially when I don't have the microphone on. (laughs) But this struggle with gender, it, it was a gift to me through which I found peace. I mean, I had pain, But then I came to peace, and I don't know exactly how this happens, but I can tell you God showed himself to be trustworthy to me. I've learned to not blame God when there's pain, (laughs) to not allow that to get in between him and I. I mean, there is pain, but he loves me, so I trust him. And I know in the midst of pain, it can be very tempting to get angry at God. I know I'm not the only one in this room who's experienced pain. I know it can be tempting to leave our connection behind or not trust him. And it can be tempting to come to the conclusion, well, either he's not good or he's not powerful or he just isn't. He doesn't exist at all. But I don't have that temptation anymore. Not really. Not deep down. I don't have a a good answer as to why there's pain, illness, and suffering in this world, but God's trustworthy. That's settled for me, and that's an amazing gift. He loves me, so I trust him. And it's not just because everything is hunky-dory in my world. Uh, My family 
has seen a number of pretty serious health struggles. My husband, Steve, has had, oh gosh, ulcerative colitis. He has this autoimmune disease that attacks his organs from the inside. He's, got, he's had cirrhosis of the liver. He's had a liver transplant, and then he had cancer, and then he had chemotherapy, and he also thought I should include the worst procedure of them all, his vasectomy. <laughs> I told you this would not be Christmassy. <laughs> so last year when Steve was going through chemotherapy, one of my friends and I were talking about it, and he just shook his head and said, man, you guys have been through so much, and yet you... you you seem so buoyant. And I should say that this uh, friend of mine is an atheist. And I was like, well, buoyant, that's because, you know, fat floats. <laughs> of course I'm buoyant. <laughs> that's not what I said. Uh, but as I thought about it, I was thinking maybe that's what he sees when I talk about it. That I love God, that God loves me, more importantly, and I trust him no matter what happens, no matter what. Steve is sick again. You might notice that he's getting yellow and thinner. You don't notice this, but he takes more naps now. He's getting sick again. Uh, Michaela would say that his check liver light has come back on. <laughs> and I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know. I don't know what treatment is next and if it's gonna be effective or how long it will be effective. But I know this, I know that God loves us. And so I trust him. God's got good in mind even when we don't see it. And it's a trust that I never could have conjured up on my own or studied my way into, I don't think. There's this psalm that I resonate with that I want to read to you. And maybe if you've experienced some pain, maybe it'll speak to you as well. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But... I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. You know, I could have read that psalm a hundred times and never really known God's unfailing love. It was this gift that I never would have chosen, that I didn't want in the midst of it, that I would never wish on anyone. But it was through that that God gave me the gift of peace, of trust, of knowing his love. And so I am able to trust him. So I'm going to pray for us before I hand it over to Phil and he'll make it about Christmas again. <laughs> so Father, thank you. You say to thank you for everything. Even when we don't see the end, we don't see the good. And I can see why now, at least in this, and in Mark's story and Will's story, I know you have good in mind for us, and I know you love us, all of us. I, I ask that you would give light to our eyes in these ways so that we can all experience your love. 
more and more. Thank you for the gift of your son in ways that we never would have chosen, of course. Um, Yeah. Thank you for giving us faith as well and letting that be the thing that draws us to you. Amen. Hey, would you thank Veronica for... If you've been watching online uh, or here in person through this Advent season, it might occur to you that this, this series or these thoughts, unexpected gifts, might not be very Christmassy, as Veronica has noted. Uh, but I would contend that they are incredibly, at their heart, the essence of Christmas. It's this commingling of uh, difficulty and joy, of victory and defeat, of pain and immense pleasure that we see all wrapped up in who God is and what happens through the Christmas season. And the other element that's so key and so important to every story you've heard. I mean, if you've watched, then you, you've heard Mark's story, Will French's story, um, Veronica Johnson's story today. You saw a chaotic kids pageant. Uh, all of it wrapped up together. You've noticed this immense vulnerability on behalf of people that are willing to share a bit of their journey, where they've gone, where they are, what God has taught. And as these stories unfold and the Christmas story unfolds, there is in the middle of it these unexpected gifts, even unwanted gifts, and they fit together. And my guess is is that your story is the same. Some of the most incredible experiences of your life good and bad, incredibly good and incredibly hard, and everywhere in between are wrapped up in some of these unexpected gifts. And somehow God manages to weave incredible grace and love and mercy and goodness in the middle of all of it. I don't understand it. I can't begin to put all the pieces together, but I know Somehow, that's how he works. And I don't know why it is, but for some reason during the Christmas season, we have this tendency to think that we have to shove all that aside and decide that we're going to have uh, a Christmas cheer and that that is what Christmas is about. And for some reason, during the Christmas season, we have a very difficult time putting together things like um, struggle and joy or sadness and happiness. We think they don't fit and we shove these things aside, maybe box them up. I'm not sure why that is. I, I, I've got a name for it. I call it the Christmas paradox. It, maybe we think that this season should be all about happiness and joy. We have enough things telling us that, and so maybe we just think that is the deal. It, it could be that we've had such a hard year that by the time we get to December, we've decided we want to box up all that pain, box up all that struggle, and shove it aside because we've thought about it enough and we don't want any more to do with it. And so we begin to segment our life. We begin to live compartmentalized. And in December, we lean into that. But when we do... When we do that, we miss the depth and the texture and the beauty, not just of our story, but of the Christmas story, because we have decided that pain does not have 
that struggle does not have, that even defeat does not have, a central part in who God is and how he's at work in our lives. And the scriptures tell a very different story. Not just the scriptures. And I'm not sure why we do this compartmentalizing. Because every Christmas story we love does the very same thing. And you know this because you've been watching the movies for the last month. I mean, you, you, you know that you, you could give me the details of the stories. You know, you've got Ralphie and we, we know what Ralphie wants for Christmas, right? What does Ralphie want? A Red Rider BB gun with a compass in the stock. Right, exactly. Right on. Way to go. The kids know, don't you remember? And he wants it. He wants it so bad. He asked for it. And it's, it's, it's all wrapped up in this story. And of course, the very thing that he wants, that he believes is going to bring him so much joy, all it does is bring him pain. That's all it does. And it puts him in a place where he finds himself hurt. This is the story. But if you read, take a closer look at what's happening in the, the Christmas story, it's not just that. This whole story, this whole movie is about his complete loss of innocence. You know this, right? I mean, he finds out that commercialism is just a sham in the movie. He finds out that his parents are hypocrites. He gets in trouble for saying words that his dad taught him to say. All of this unfolds while he finds the deeper joy in Christmas. And because of all of it, Ralphie loses his mind and beats the snot out of a neighborhood bully. And what you'll notice in each of these stories, there's going to be somebody that has a breakdown that cannot take it any longer and they lose their minds. It happens in every Christmas movie that you love. We know what Ralphie wants, and we know what George Bailey wants. What does he want? Well, he wants a, well, in this case, he wants a suitcase, but he wants a life of adventure, a life of adventure that will take him to places exotic, that will help him see the world. He wants to leave Bedford Falls. He wants to leave the old Bailey savings and loan. He wants nothing to do with the life that his dad set forth for him. He wants to chart his own course but he is frustrated at every turn. It's a movie about frustration, disappointment, and unmet expectations. It's about your Christmas is what it's about. And he is so frustrated that he finds himself hopeless at his wit's end. He loses all hope. And so much so, he finds himself in such despair that he's about to throw away his life. It's a serious theme, and it doesn't sound very Christmassy, but it's the heart of everything we know about the Christmas story. It's not just Ralphie. It's not just George Bailey. I mean, even Buddy the Elf is not exempt. <laughs> the best way to show Christmas cheer is what? <laughs> Buddy the Elf is the epitome of Christmas cheer. Nobody, nobody can frustrate him. Nobody can leave him undaunted. All of the sour adults in this movie that do not like Christmas, that it's just a big commercialistic venture, he changes all of their hearts and minds and even Buddy finds himself in a place before long that rejection after rejection leaves him hopeless. What does he want at the beginning? He just wants to fit in. That's all he wants. 
He's a big man in an elf world. It's crazy to me that they can build Santa a sleigh, but they can't build Buddy the Elf a bed that his feet can fit in. It feels like injustice completely. And so he leaves elf world, goes to adult world, and he doesn't fit in there either. And then he's rejected by his father. And eventually, Buddy the Elf finds him in the very same place that George Bailey was on a bridge. Rejection has just been too much. And of course, we cannot think about our Christmas stories without pondering the story of Clark W. Griswold. (laughs) who finds himself stuck in an attic. And all Clark wants is a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. That's all he wants. And we get a glimpse in this attic scene of Clark's life and why he wants this. All he wants is to recreate these memories from his childhood, this moment that he can look back on and remember when life was good. It's before life got hard. It's before it got complicated, before he had to go to work and work on non-nutritive cereal varnishes, all these things. This is what he wants. He wants to create for his family nostalgia. It's the same feeling you have about Christmas. When you get out the decorations, when you put up the tree, when you hear a certain song, when you smell a certain smell, you see his tears and for as goofy and silly and ridiculous as he is, your heart goes out to him because that's all he's trying to create. Of course, the pressure of it all makes him completely collapse. And he delivers to the people he loves the most one of the greatest rants in cinematic history. Absolutely incredible. And I I know every one of these stories has a wonderful ending, but that's not why we watch. We watch for moments like these, for the breakdowns, because they say things that maybe we've wanted to say, They have experiences that are like ours where we find ourselves against the ropes and they all end up in these places for all of the same reasons. And the reason is simply this, life is what? It's not as it should be. Something hasn't gone according to plan. Something hasn't worked out the way we thought it would work out. It might be my fault or maybe I found a way to blame it on everybody else. Or it could just be the way the circumstances have unfolded, but life has not worked out the way I thought it might or maybe the way I thought it should. My expectations haven't been met. And I'm like you. I I think I know what I want, but sometimes even when I get what I want, it's not what I need. But I'm sure as heck going to try to make it all come together. And when it doesn't, life is not as it should be. These stories, my life, your life, it's all mirrored in the context of the Christmas story. When Luke begins to unfold the Christmas story, is what he says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, by the time Luke gets to this little historical detail, he's already told the story of angel visits and incredible fright and fear and unbelievable occurrences in the lives of people, old couple, young couple, engaged couple who shouldn't be worrying about having a child yet. And all of that has already happened. And now this 
historical moment of a census creates another situation. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He's got to go just to be counted. It's just the circumstances that bring about this journey that he's supposed to take. Now, when Joseph and Mary begin to take this journey, when Luke writes, so Joseph also went up, he means it literally. Uh, There's about 1,500 feet of elevation gain in between these two locales. They're about 90 miles apart. And so when Joseph and Mary begin to make this trip, it's at least a four to five, maybe even six day journey just so that they can be marked present and counted in a census. Mary's pregnant, she's with child. They're trying to figure this out. They're leaving home. They're going to a place that they didn't wanna go. It's an unplanned trip, an unplanned circumstance. And this is all a part of this unexpected story. I'm sure you've had many a Christmas when the things that begin to unfold for you were completely unexpected. Some families in our church are experiencing that this year. Some of them displaced from their homes. Some of them dealing with surgeries and health concerns that they had no idea was going to be a part of their December. You could tell me your story of the Christmas that was different and you remember it like it was yesterday. And there are at least a dozen, maybe two dozen other Christmases that happened like clockwork. Everything went as planned and you don't remember a single detail about them. But you remember the ones that went awry. You remember the ones that created tension or where you ended up someplace where you didn't mean to be. We had visited Christmas when the boys were little. We Christmas back in our hometown, Lexington, Kentucky, and we made a trip back to Colorado. We had been in Colorado only for a year or two at the time, and on the way back, the snow began to fall. It was one of those epic Colorado snowfalls that hit Kansas harder than Colorado. We stayed the night in a Holiday Inn, eastern part of Kansas, and found it, no, excuse me, western part. We were almost Colorado. What town was it, honey? Do you remember? What was it? Salina. It's a little Holiday Inn. The boys still talk about that Holiday Inn and that Christmas. Do they remember all the gifts we got them that year? Not a one. Do we remember what it was like to get home? to our home to three feet of snow. Well, yeah, we had to park at the bottom of the hill and walk up to the house. We remember every bit of it. Why? Because life had not happened as expected, not as we thought it might. This is what's happening to Joseph and Mary in their life. And it's not just because she's pregnant, not just because they maybe weren't gonna get married and now they are, but they're on a journey, they're on a trip. And as they make this trip, he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was what? Expecting a child. And then Luke says this, and while they were there, say it with me, the time came for the baby to be born. I wonder for you this year what the time has brought about for you. I wonder what occurred in your life and in your story, in your family that you did not know was about to happen, but the time came for your job to be wrapped up, 
the time came for this struggle within your life or within your family. Some of you are dealing with the first Christmas without somebody precious, special, important in your life. When Joseph and Mary find themselves away from home, away from the comforts of home, away from the people that would give them all of the help that they need, what happens? The time came for the baby to be born. And just like in history, time is divided by this moment. Most people I know, when they have experiences like this in their life, good ones or bad ones, but ones that mark their life, their life is also divided by moments like this. The time came. They'll say, yeah, you know, that happened before dad passed. That happened before we moved to such and such. That happened before we were living in this different place or our family changed significantly. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So for the last year, what has time brought your way? What has developed? What has occurred in your life that you think, I don't know if it will ever be the same again. I don't know if we'll experience it. Luke goes on to say this. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. With this verse, Luke describes the coming of a savior. With this few verses, Luke describes this moment in history that will forever change our understanding of who God is and what love means. And it seems to happen in complete obscurity. This is, in fact, the surprise of Christmas. It is a vulnerable child and a very dark and cold and forgotten place. A child born in poverty, growing up in relative obscurity. And this would be the thing that would change your understanding of love and mercy and grace and the very nature of God. It could be this very event in history is why we believe that good can come from hard times. It could be the very reason why we have a phrase like silver linings that describe wonderful things that happen even in the middle of dark clouds. It could be why we believe that even in unexpected happenings, God is still present. Whatever has unfolded in your life this year, over the next week, as the calendar turns to a new year and you consider and contemplate what has been and what you hope for in the year to come, my hope is that Christmas will be your reminder that the unexpected is guaranteed to be part of your life in the next year. That God will bring about some things that you can't foresee today. And you know this because that happened this year and the year before. And some of those unexpected events, while you would never want to relive them, if you have leaned into them, if you have done so with open hands, uh, vulnerability, as we have described from our storytellers, then know this, that in the unexpected, God is present. In fact, the, the writers of scripture say this moment represents Emmanuel, 
God moving to us, with us, and for us. And so while your life may take some unexpected turns, know that God is the author of the good and the hard, even in the unexpected. And that, first and foremost, he is with you and he will always be with you. So it's a different Christmas season for us because of the calendar. This is actually the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve. It doesn't happen very often. Because of that, our, our Advent people, so grateful to have the Lassars with us tonight, have lit the fourth candle of Advent. In this moment, what remains unlit that we would normally light on Christmas Eve is the Christ candle in the middle. We'll light that in just a moment, and when we do, we'll begin to light your candles because what you have in your hand, of course, is to be representative of this Christ candle. And this candle light that you'll see here in just a moment and that you will hold in your hands, representative of what John describes as the light of the world, that in him is the light that God sent to us, is to be taken into not a world that's already filled with light, but a world that is what? That's right, it's dark. It's dark. And so we are reminded, even in the beauty of candlelight, that light and darkness go together. Pain and struggle go with joy together. Happiness and sadness go together. Like we said, all of these stories that we have told, even this story, even though it's filled with struggle and pain and difficulty, all of these stories that we tell, they do have incredible, wonderful, happy endings. And, but we read them because the pain and the struggle make the joy real and intense and true. One without the other, well, it just does not work at all. If it was all light, we wouldn't need candles. If it was all dark, we wouldn't be able to find our way. But because we have the beauty of this Christ candle, we are reminded, maybe, that the light has come. And tonight, that's what we celebrate on Christmas Eve. The next 24, 48 hours, maybe all week, this past week, will be filled with opening presents and eating and fun and family. My hope is that in those interactions and in the time that you spend together, you'll be reminded that the light is not suffocated by the darkness, that your pain and struggle, it will not go away, that unexpected events will always be a part of your life, but God will be with you and we'll see you through even the darkest of times. So I'm gonna ask our friends that are gonna help us light candles to make their way up here. Normally I would light their candle, but they're gonna get their light directly from the Christ candle on this Christmas Eve. And as they do so, why don't you stand with me and let's pray together. So Lord, we come before you now. Go ahead, come on, candle lighters, do your thing. Lord, we come before you now recognizing that your love and mercy is all we need. Now on this Christmas Eve, we celebrate the light that has come. We recognize that the stories that we tell about Christmas, whether they involve fictional characters or the beauty of a 
cold, dark stable on the Judean hillside while kings plot and do their thing. Our Savior was born, the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. And so while battles rage all over the globe, we sing about this Prince of Peace, this silent night and this holy night. And this room fills with light and we're reminded that your love and mercy is more than we need to make it through even the darkest of nights. And we celebrate your love on this Christmas Eve. We declare your goodness together. In the name of Jesus, we all say together, amen.